We are winding down um, our series called The Reason for Everything. Uh, tonight is our second last one and we wrap up uh, next week. And again, just we've been really excited about what God has done uh, through this time together. And this week I was thinking, when I catch a, a few minutes by myself, um, I, I like to go onto this rugby site that I follow. And what they have started doing, which has been incredible, is they have been going through the years and putting together uh, highlights packages of South African rugby matches from the earliest bit of footage that they have. So like you could go on and, uh, for example, go to like the Curry Cup finals from uh, 1935 to 1940. And they found um, footage, they restored it, and ha- have put these compilations together. And it's incredible because I've been going and going, oh wow, heard about this player, and, and can go see uh, for myself uh, what they were like and-, and how they played. I mean, going through all the years and, and doing that. And uh, if rugby is not your thing, something I've been doing with my son, uh, he's, uh, as a boy, uh, and uh, he's starting to become aware of different things, uh, he loves the idea of the military and things like that. So he loves watching original footage of World War I and World War II. And there's some incredible things. If you go back in history, uh, major events, uh, there's some wonderful footage that you're going, oh, wow, that was that is what it was like, Uh, that's what it looked like, that's how it went down, and you learn so much from watching some of the original footage from incredible events. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could go back to the 9th of April, 9th of April, (laughs) AD 30, and uh, watch some of the original footage of the empty tomb? It wouldn't be great if we had that level of evidence, you know, Google Earth, uh, go over Jerusalem, kind of street view, Uh, see the empty tomb, uh, but we don't have that. Uh, But we do have some incredible evidence. And tonight, uh, what we are going to be digging into is the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I remember going on a trip to Turkey a number of years ago, doing one of those kind of contiki tours where you you travel around with a group of strangers. And uh, one of the strangers on that trip was an atheist from New Zealand, And he eventually built up some courage one night to start tackling me on the claims of Christianity. And I stopped him really early on. I was like, look, man, if we're going to debate whether or not Christianity is true or false, let's skip through evolution. Let's skip through the different creation theories, et cetera, et cetera. Let's bypass all of that. I'm going to give you uh, just a, a big heads up. You want to take down Christianity. You want to hang out and, and really debate whether this thing is true or not. Because I said to him, I'll give you all of evolution. You can, you can start the argument with having won all of that. Uh, let's get to the resurrection. And he was like, why? It's like, because it doesn't matter anything else. If you can disprove the resurrection, you disprove all of the claims of Jesus. In fact, you can disprove that the resurrection didn't happen. Every claim about Christianity ends up being false. The whole thing is useless, worthless, is untrue. In fact, we have nothing as Christians if we don't have the truth of the resurrection. You want to engage with anything in kind of disproving Christianity, that's uh, where you need to go. Because that's the reality. If the resurrection didn't happen in real time, real space, physical history, a real physical resurrection, we have nothing as believers. And that's really, really important for us. And although a couple of weeks ago we proved the credibility and the historical reliability uh, of the Bible and the New Testament, 
Uh, we have some incredible documents uh, that prove and speak to uh, the resurrection. Again, tonight we're going to do what we've been doing in the series. We're going to be largely looking outside of the, the, the Bible because, as we mentioned last week, there are non-biblical hostile um, sources to Christianity who claim the resurrection happened, that there was an empty tomb. So we're going to be looking into some of that. And what is very interesting up at the start is what we don't have. And this is very interesting. There is not a single document that says anything along the lines of they found the body of Jesus. The tomb wasn't empty. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. In fact, as I mentioned, we have the opposite. Hostile sources to Christianity that speak to the empty tomb, that talk about the events that happened. And so uh, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, there are kind of three lines of evidence that uh, historians, Christian and non-Christian, look at and will use in this argument. And uh, these are the empty tomb and the presence of eyewitnesses and the impact of the resurrection. And we're going to go through those uh, three lines of evidence tonight, looking at what uh, people say uh, and, and what the Bible says and kind of what we believe about uh, kind of these three uh, components to uh, the historical evidence for the resurrection. So the first one is the empty tomb. Now it's very important to uh, think about this and, and to understand kind of what was going on. When it came to preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, The disciples didn't leave Jerusalem, go to kind of some backwater town where no one had heard about uh, the events of Jesus, uh, his death and his burial and his supposed resurrection, where people hadn't heard of these things and they were like, oh wow, cool story, that sounds amazing, yeah, let's believe in them. The disciples were preaching about the empty tomb on the same weekend that Jesus died and rose again. Now, Why that's important is it's in the very city where the tomb was. So uh, there's this guy, his name is Paul Althus, and and he wrote this. He said, the resurrection proclamation could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for even a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. If these guys are preaching an empty tomb, on the weekend that he was put in the tomb. What did they do? Okay, let's go up to the tomb and let's see for ourselves if the tomb is empty or not. And the truth is, the uh, idea of the empty tomb is just universally accepted. Uh, There isn't any way to deny that the tomb was empty. So what they've done is they've come up with some theories as to, well, how do we deal then with an empty tomb? And so here are some of the theories that have come up or people have come up with to try and kind of get their heads around the fact that the tomb was indeed empty. Sorry, ladies. The first one is the woman got it wrong, right? The woman went to the wrong tomb. Genuine theory uh, believed by people is in their grief uh, and somehow with the overwhelming stress of the emotion of Jesus dying, that they went to the wrong tomb, saw that it was empty, freaked out. Yes, uh, he rose from the dead and ran away and told everyone that that happened. So if you believe that theory, you also have to believe that then the Jews uh, also went to the wrong tomb, uh, that the Roman soldiers, when they went to go and check this out, they themselves went to uh, the wrong tomb. In fact, if you believe that theory, every single person in Jerusalem went to the wrong tomb. 
So that's really what, what, what that theory uh, kind of tells us, is that uh, just <laughs> everybody went to uh, the wrong tomb. They, they just missed it completely. Uh, the, the, a very popular theory that a lot of people hold to is that the disciples snuck uh, to the tomb, somehow went past the guards, and stole Jesus' body away. Uh, quite a popular uh, theory. Uh, but then when you think about it, those same guys, they were martyred. If you don't know what martyred is, uh, they died believing that lie. So most of, and again, that's going to come up a little bit later, but the amount of people who have died believing that Jesus rose from the dead, extreme deaths, tortured to death, believing that Jesus rose from the dead, I've told lies. And I know you guys have told lies. I don't think there is anyone here who is willing to die for a lie that they've told. Yet they did. Look what it says in Matthew 28. Verses 11 to 15. It is going to come up onto the screen, but uh, just jot down this note. Again, something we've been sharing just with the series. Any question that comes up uh, during this uh, sermon, love you to make note of it and come and chat to us afterwards. We have loved engaging with you guys around this. Matthew 28, 11 to 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported, uh, the guards being Romans, reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. While the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. Corruption is not new in government. Telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. This was a big deal. These Roman soldiers, uh, their very lives were at stake because of what happened with the empty tomb. And so the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So again, not the disciples who stole the body, but the Jews in trying to deal with the fact that they can't reconcile how the tomb uh, was sealed with Jesus' body in it, and they came to see that the stone was rolled away and his body out of it. That they had to say to the gods, listen, we need to do some damage control. Take this money, tell people that his body was stolen by his disciples, we'll pay off your bosses. And that is how uh, that story largely got into circulation uh, there's also an ancient document, just if you want to look it up, called the Toldoth Jesu. Uh, documents, uh, uh, Hebrew writings around that same time, uh, some historical notes that talk about the empty tomb. And in fact, even the Jews will acknowledge, hostile to uh, the resurrection of Jesus, that the tomb was empty. Then another big theory that people hold to is the theory that Jesus did not die. That, um, and so basically that. What did happen was that his body was literally ripped apart. And if you know some of the historical uh, kind of the, the story of the crucifixion, that before Jesus was physically nailed to the cross, he went through a public beating. And it wasn't just like with a stick, cat of nine tails, bits of metal and bone and rock. That literally uh, reports of that happening is that people died during that part and didn't even make it to the cross. And that during that time, bits of a body were ripped apart that you could see bones and sometimes even organs. So he survived that. 
had his feet nailed to the cross, had his heart punctured with a spear, was wrapped in about 20 kilos of linen, tight around his body, put into a cold tomb where he managed to revive himself, get out of that, move a significantly large stone, overpower some Roman guards, and walk around the countryside telling everyone he was alive. That's the kind of what you have to believe if um, you don't believe he died. And what I love is then, you know, that's kind of Wolverine, not Jesus. Um, But I love that they at least have to claim to that if they believe that Jesus didn't actually die. But then what you have to add uh, into that is that Romans were trained executioners. And in fact, crucifixion was so popular that there's reports of people being, or as many as 6,000 people being crucified on one day. These guys knew how to kill people on a cross. It was their bread and butter. There is accounts of nobody surviving crucifixions. In fact, and you can read this in John's account of the crucifixion. That to speed things up, because if it was taking too long, they broke people's legs on the cross. And in John's account, it goes, uh, they went to the first person because you know that uh, Jesus was crucified along with two other people, one on his left, one on his right. And it talks about how they went to the first person, broke his legs, went to Jesus, went to go and break his legs, but found that he was already dead, and then broke the other person's legs on the other side of him. They made sure that nobody uh, left and got down off of the cross alive. And while the gospel writers were not doctors, uh, the account of when Jesus' heart was stabbed with a spear and blood and water flowed, uh, we know, and again, I'm not a doctor, so forgive forgive my layman's kind of explanation about this. Due to the shock and the blood loss and everything that was going around him, We know that kind of that blood plasma, when somebody dies, uh, that happens. Blood and water flows when a person is dead. We know from all uh, evidence that Jesus died on the cross. And so there was no way that that uh, theory uh, that Jesus didn't die was plausible. Now, there's another interesting thing to give kind of uh, weight to that is the burial account of Jesus. Every single burial account of Jesus mentions a very specific person. A man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, his name, where he was from. And kind of each account gives a little bit of background from him. Rich man, part of the Sanhedrin, part of the ruling council of Jerusalem. He was put in his tomb. Nobody disputes the account of Jesus' burial. One of a, uh, someone who had incredible credibility at the time was responsible for overseeing his burial. Uh, part of the uh, ruling uh, group of people of Jerusalem, you wanted to know whether or not Jesus was buried in that tomb. You just needed to go to one of the rulers who paid for the tomb, put him in, in his tomb, credibility. Everybody knew who he was. You could just go to him. What's really interesting is going, if you think about it, the burial of Jesus is undisputed. The story and the facts around that are, are just taken as 100%. There is no fiction. And nothing has been embellished. Nothing has been added. The names are there. You could have gone and done the work. If that is true, how much weight then does that give the resurrection? 
Again, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, take away from the story. It's, it adds uh, incredible weight to the, histor- the historical account of the actual uh, resurrection. The whole story, if you add them together, uh, is true and not fictitious, which is fantastic. Right, so that's the, kind of the first one, the empty tomb. None of the theories uh, hold weight. In fact, I was reading a little bit about this. There's this thing that they do in trying to figure out what happened with some events. Uh, some guys come to a crime scene. Detectives will come across a crime scene, whatever, if it's a murder or a house robbery. What they'll do is they'll piece together all the bits of evidence that they find. Broken window, gun on the floor, uh, whatever. And then they will look at the evidence and then they will try to figure out what is the best possible scenario based on the events that we, or the evidence that we have. And they sometimes use that to then figure out motive and, and, and actually catch uh, the criminal. But they build the story based on what evidence that they have. And I was reading a whole bunch of stuff that most people actually have resigned themselves to the fact that when you look at the weight of evidence to the resurrection, in fact, any other theory just doesn't make sense. That the evidence points to that the best possible explanation for all the evidence that we have is that Jesus physically rose from the dead. It's incredible. Okay, anyway, our witnesses. And look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. Uh, From what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. This is Paul writing... Um, and we'll get to him in, in a minute. Now, this is a very interesting piece of scripture. There's some sources that reckon that this uh, little piece that I read actually was one of the first bits of worship that the early church had. That they would get together as believers and they would recite this as an act of worship. And some sources are even putting this as between three and seven years uh, after the death of Jesus. As what they would do, they would get together and they would read and use this as worship. Amazing piece of historical um, worship. Almost like a creed that the early church had. But now some people have some problems with this and they then will add some theories as to why we need to discredit the eyewitnesses. And the first one is the hallucination theory. And this is that in people's grief, And we have accounts of that, that you're so traumatized by the loss of a loved one that you imagine hearing them in another room of the house. You see them walking in a crowd and you see them as though they are alive. And most people will accept that somebody can have a hallucination. Some very interesting uh, theories or some things proven about hallucinations is that no one is able to have the same hallucination. And... Uh, you can't have an hallucination of something that you have never experienced before. And so because Jesus uh, was the first person to have ever risen from the dead, people to have hallucinations around this is actually, they reckon, is psychologically impossible because you can't hallucination, have a hallucination about something that you've never experienced or has never happened before in the world. 
All right, so uh, it then makes it absolutely impossible to five, have 500 people have the exact same hallucination. It's just uh, rejected by everyone. And then another theory or, or something that they add to that is the, the woman, again, sorry ladies, I'm so glad that culture is moving forward. But no one believed the credibility and the testimony of a woman. Listen to some of these quotes. This one comes from a historian, a Jewish historian named Josephus. Let, the, let not the testimony of women be admitted on the account of the levity and boldness of their sex. Second, women were considered second-rate citizens. So this came from Jewish rabbis. Sooner let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to a woman. And a daily prayer of Jewish men was blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Hectic. But now, the fact that the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were women, nobody at that time would have their story be relied upon by the testimony of women. That would just get automatically get dismissed. So if you are making something up, the biggest mistake you can make is have women part of your story as people who were the first eyewitnesses. For that message to come from the mouths of women at that time, immediately you're going, no, nah, no, nah, sorry, we're dismissing it. So that very fact alone gives significant credibility to the fact that there were people who saw the empty tomb and Jesus appearing to them in the flesh. I mentioned to you this guy that I was speaking to on this trip to Turkey about uh, the resurrection. And uh, where we got to, and he just then bailed out the conversation because he couldn't handle it anymore, was to two of the people who are mentioned in this creed in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's when Jesus appeared to James and then to me also being Paul. I want to just take a minute into speaking about uh, this character, James. And Jesus had some half-brothers and he had uh, other siblings and we know from an account in the Gospels that they were present around the time that Jesus went into his public ministry. And there were some times when they went to Jesus and the crowds and they tried to take him away from public ministry that they did not believe what he was doing. So some of you here, how many of you have an older sibling? Okay, I don't have an older sibling, I'm lucky. How many of your older siblings thought they were God? A couple of hands <laughs> kind of going up here. Your older siblings kind of dominated your life, kind of made it misery and acted uh, like they were God. What does it take for you to genuinely believe that they are God? Nothing, right? Because you know who they are. You've seen their faults. You kind of learn some of their weaknesses. You know how to kind of uh, push their buttons. We have an account of Jesus' half-brother James before he was crucified, not believing that he was who he claimed to be and tried to take him out of public ministry. Then we have an account of James writing a letter to churches 
and encouraging Christians. In fact, we know that he became a leader in the early church in Jerusalem, staying there when persecution hits and the rest of the believers scattering, but staying in Jerusalem. Furthermore, we have an account of him being dragged to the edge of a cliff for believing in his brother Jesus, who was his savior, being thrown off of the cliff while he was worshiping Jesus and then being found alive at the bottom and being clubbed to death. What does it take for someone to have their belief shift in going, okay, he claims to be God, to dying, worshiping him as God. What has to happen for that to happen? And the answer is, James saw him die and then saw him alive, resurrected, walking away from the empty tomb. One of the greatest proofs that Jesus physically rose again from the dead. And again, his story of his death is not made up, very well documented and recorded. Paul, we know, one of the greatest contributors to the New Testament. We know his story, that he was a government-sanctioned killer of those who believed in the resurrection of Jesus. That he uh, made it his mission to squash uh, the birth of the church. And that he would hunt down Christians. And that on the way, he encountered Jesus. And the switch flipped in his brain, in his life. Something happened when he went from uh, killing Christians to then in the end of his life being killed for being a Christian. What has to happen for you to have such a zeal to end something? to then spend the rest of your life in the service of that very same thing. I know people have had changes of hearts and things. And I know people have believed one thing and they've been quite passionate about something and then they've had a shift in thinking, they kind of cooled down, maybe gone quiet. But that change, that extreme change, can only be explained by the fact that he encountered the physical resurrected Jesus. And that then leads to the third point, which is the impact of the resurrection. Again, Jesus' followers, they were poor, they were marginalized, they were uneducated. Yet out of this came this confidence and fearlessness that led to the massive spread of the gospel, even at the cost of their own lives. And as mentioned, nobody dies for a lie. Yet here, some of the facts Paul was beheaded under Emperor Nero. Peter was crucified upside down also by Emperor Nero. Andrew, one of the disciples, was crucified in Greece. Thomas made it all the way on foot to India where he was killed by spears preaching the gospel. Philip converted the wife of a Roman proconsul in Asia Minor whose husband crudely put him to death. We spoke about James and it goes on and on with all of these guys dying incredible deaths a brutal death for Jesus. People will say then, well, it was just the influence of Christianity that led these guys to be so fanatical about it. But again, you, you, you can't claim that because the very foundation of it was the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what fueled the spread of Christianity it cannot be explained as a later product because at the very heart of it was their experience of the resurrection of Jesus, which fueled 
all of their actions, even unto death. Around about the first century, there were a number of messianic movements. But when their leader died, so died their movement, but not so with Christianity. Around the fourth century, uh, most, or at least one third uh, of the Roman Empire were believers. Even then, Roman emperors themselves were believing in Jesus. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. This is so important for us. This is what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Basically, if the resurrection did not happen, we are fools. Right? This is of no importance. Let's just be merry, enjoy life, uh, go wild, uh, take as much pleasure from this world as you possibly can because it has no meaning. But if Jesus did, that is of every importance. Again, some people doubted. Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus, he couldn't believe in the testimony of his friends. Jesus came to him and said, put your hand in my side. Feel the wound where the spear went into. Here's the hole where the nail went through. He showed him the evidence. Guys are gonna struggle with this. But again, this has so much significance and meaning for us. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have this hope, an anchor for my soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. This knowledge of the historical resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Because of this, every claim about Jesus is true. And and it needs to change something in us. Because what we like to do is uh, what we call, uh, we like to take snapshots of Jesus. Uh, we did a bit of a clean out. Um, you know when you move house, you do like 95% of the unpacking of all your boxes, but you eventually reach a point where you're done and you leave a couple of boxes and they just stay there for like ever. And eventually like somehow you get like this crazy uh, bit of uh, inspiration and you unpack a box and we were doing that the other day from our move, we still hadn't unpacked a couple boxes. And uh, in there, we found a little photo album. And it was mine of uh, a couple years ago. And it had some stuff of late high school, early varsity. And I was sitting with my kids. And we were kind of flipping through uh, each page on this little photo album. And they were like, oh, dad, look at you here. And where were you here? And we were kind of just like being so nice. Oh, I love this picture because I was here. And oh, I... But we do that with Jesus. So what we'll do is we, we kind of have our snapshots around our, our favorite bit about Jesus. Oh, you know, I love how Jesus cared for the poor. That's who Jesus is for me. He, he just cares for the downtrodden. Or, you know, some of you, we mentioned women. I love how Jesus kind of treated women. And that's my picture of Jesus. I, I love that bit about Jesus. You know, that's who he is for me. Oh, you know, I love how Jesus uh, rejected the authority and the oppression of Rome. That's the Jesus I love, the the Jesus that kind of throws over the yoke of oppression. He's my favorite bit of Jesus. And we we, we love that picture. And we'll look back and go, oh, 
you know, or, oh, I love baby Jesus at Christmas. That's my favorite Jesus. It's so cute in the manger. You know, that's, that's what I think about when Jesus is innocent, perfect little beautiful baby. But then we'll kind of read like, and we'll go, oh, I don't like that Jesus on those hard teachings about giving or about honoring God with my sexuality. That part about Jesus, I don't like. And, and we, we don't keep that picture in the album because we'll, we'll reject that. And we like to pick and choose what bits of Jesus we like and think about and, 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 and we'll go, oh, I'll follow that. So I'll, I'll do a bit of that bit of, about Jesus. But when we look at the resurrection, we need to think about this. There are world religions that people hold to, but those world religions every year go on a pilgrimage to where their leader is buried. And they'll do something around his tomb or the shrine where they believe his bones are. The difference is we have a tomb that is empty, a savior that appeared to people risen from the dead, vindicating every single claim he made about who he is and rose again to the right hand of the Father where we know He is coming back again. See, we need to kind of ditch the snapshot Jesus where we take the bits and pieces that we like about Him. The resurrection means we can't do that. Again, if He didn't rise from the dead, again, that means Christianity has little importance. But because He did, it has infinite importance. It means everything in me has to change and respond to Jesus as God, my Savior, Creator of everything. And I can't go and pick and choose what I like about my risen Savior, God. My only response is, Jesus, have all of me. Okay, you're God. I'm not. I need to give my life to you. I'm gonna submit because you rose from the dead. You're the creator. Everything you said is true. And I accept you as God and my life is now yours. That can be our only response to the claims and the evidence of the historical, physical resurrection of our Savior from the grave. Nobody else can boast that. We can boast our Savior lives. He is alive. And I submit my life to that. Jesus, tonight we just bow our heads and we say you are our risen Savior. People can boast about what they believe in this world, but we boast about an empty grave. Jesus, you are God who rose physically from the dead, vindicating everything you said. You are the one true God. You are our Savior. Jesus, we can only respond by saying, my life is yours. And tonight, just again, if that is something that you have struggled with, if you have doubted, if you have not known, kind of, is this all really true? It's an opportunity for you to surrender and say, Jesus, I make you God of my life. I surrender to you. I invite you in your own space to do that. If you need help, Uh, You can come find me at the front. But again, Jesus, thank you that you are God and you demand our lives. Amen.